Welcome to the Awakening Shalom Podcast. The Awakening Shalom Podcast is an opportunity for digital faith formation at Myers Park Baptist Church that accompanies the Awakening Series, a year-long journey of exploration and discernment which invites all people to come learn about the current social justice issues of the day and how they impact our faith. What we are awakening to is Shalom, the Hebrew word for the peace and beauty that exists when we are living in right relationship with God, ourselves, other human beings, and all created things. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Awakening Shalom podcast series entitled Upanen. We are here uh, really taking a deep dive into this word that is often translated into patient endurance or into perseverance, into patience. We're really looking at what it means to be perseverant in this time of both a pandemic, but also political upheaval, a lot of uprisings, um, a crisis, uh, overall global and national crises. So we're looking at that right now, especially as we start to realize that our fall is going to look a lot different than we have planned. I know there was a lot of hope that we would be over this hump and June and July would come in here and we'd be back to some sort of normal. But it's looking like we're in this for the long haul, as was predicted in the earlier days. And so we are excited to talk to you a little bit more about what patient endurance looks like. We are here. I am Mia McLean. I'm here with Reverend Dr. Benjamin Boswell. Hello. <laughs> and our special guest for the day, Dr. Anita Blanchard. Dr. Blanchard, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. I appreciate it. Of course. Of course. I love what you always say about not being that Anita Blanchard. So oh, yeah. if anybody is confused, she is not the best friend of Michelle Obama, but she, oh. according to her, <laughs> her uh, Dr. Anita Blanchard oh. is an associate professor of psychological and organization, organization science at UNC Charlotte. Uh, Dr. Blanchard's research interests include people identify online and face-to-face -face groups and communities and the individual group and organizational outcomes of belonging to these groups and communities. That was a lot. That was a mouthful. Yeah. Uh, talk more about that, that. As, you, as you introduce <laughs> yourself. Tell us about yourself and your connection to our wonderful family here at Myers Park Baptist Church. Well, thank you. Thank you. I also want to just get back and say that um, on Twitter, uh, Air Force One followed me uh, when I was, I know, and I know they thought I was the other Dr. Anita Blanchard. I was like, why would Air Force One be following me on Twitter? It makes no sense, just out of the blue. So it was the closest I ever got to Barack and Michelle. Anyway, so yes, um, I am um, Dr. Anita Blanchard at the university. I um, I study uh, online groups. I really started studying um, online technology in the 90s, and um, I have um, kind of, it's moved from virtual communities to face-to-face -to -face and online groups, and I'm really interested professionally on the individual functioning within that, the positive effects that come out of being in a group, how groups form and maintain themselves, and how they affect organizations, and how they affect um, communities. And I'm a member at Myers Park Baptist Church. I, I've, um, you know, I, I please remind me when I need to talk about my, my Baptist Church bits and my family bits and my research because it's 
I, even though I, I say that I, I go across all my boundaries, I really do keep them separate in my head. And I know that I do. I mean, that's actually psychologically, we keep parts separate in my head. So those are all different. Um, and it is funny. It is um, pretty interesting being a psychology professor in a religious organization because I'm always analyzing. I rarely am um, you know, always looking at a, a different level, a meta level of, oh, that's this theory or that theory or that can extend it, understand this way. Even when I'm getting a lot of spiritual nourishment, Ben, I'm still going, well, <laughs> psychology says. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. All I, you know, all I will, I will tell you guys. I, go ahead. I was just going to say, academics are dangerous in church settings. As my, my my mom is an academic, also taught at UNC Charlotte for many years, and she's always been seen in a lot of ways. I don't think this is the way it works at our church, but seen as kind of like an odd person in the context, in the religious context, as somebody has like overeducated. Mm -hmm. uh, usually, more education than the clergy is a strange place to be in a in a religious setting. And um, so she's always wrestled with that. Sometimes it very rarely were her gifts as a professional ever affirmed, you know, in church mm -hmm. settings. So I'm, I'm just, I just find it fascinating to be an academic in a, in a church setting. It must be, it must be odd. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 um, it's both liberating and odd to, to, to feel and to believe without a survey, you know, an experimental <laughs> test about it. Right. <laughs> but, but even at Myers Park Baptist, do you find it? I mean, I, I can, I can probably assume that at our church is a little less odd than other places. We have so oh, many educated oh, yeah. folk and, you know, other professors, other UNCC deans mm -hmm. professors in our actual congregation. Absolutely. At our church, there's tons of professors. Uh, there's uh, quite a few um, uh, from other universities around here. And what I have enjoyed in, um, in talking with folks when we were discussing things, I'll, I'll share a psychological theory. And people get really excited to hear my interpretation of that or how I use that to interpret what we're talking about. So I actually found it to be um, never a disconnect between science or social science and um, our faith and our, our, our theology. It's, it's much more uh, used to in, uh, enrich how we talk about it. That's pretty mm. good. That's why I like it. You've also been, uh, we, in all full disclosure, the author of a number of surveys that we have uh, created, or at least a consultant, at least a consultant on a yes. number of surveys. <laughs> Yes, I, um, it's hard for me um, to not edit something when I see it. So if I see something that I know I can make a contribution to, I'm like, oh, wait, wait, I can make that better. Yeah. That's great. I mean, churches, churches are notorious for creating bad surveys, I think. You know? Everybody is. Everybody. It's a whole thing. That's why we have whole classes on it, because anybody can make a survey, and they're usually, unless you, they can easily be bad. Yeah. Mm. Right. Interesting. And then surveys are like one of those things that people come up with in group settings and they're like, you know what we should do? We just don't have the answer to this. Let's do a survey. And I'm always like, uh, because they, they usually don't give you the information that you need unless they're written mm. very carefully, you know, and what you get is a bunch of unhelpful information that doesn't help you make any decision that you didn't already have beforehand. And you've wasted a lot of time. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And if you don't make, um, if you don't, make actions after the survey, you've done more damage than you, you uh, could have, but just not doing a survey at all. You really have to take action after you've collected data because otherwise it looks you're, you're wasting, um, you're, you're wasting a valuable contract and trust from your the folks filling it out. 
That's so true, man. Wow. There's, I never knew there was, I mean, I knew there was psychology behind surveys, but I never really, <laughs> I didn't think people like had their life's work wrapped up in that. Right. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of life's work, tell us about your life's work prior to the pandemic, sort of what your day-to-day look like as a parent, professor, and parishioner, if you want to compile right. or bring it all together. Um, well, yeah, let us yeah. know. Yeah, it all it does overlap because I mean certainly our family is very involved in the church from the children on up to us. So you know it, it you know day to day life does revolve around um, the church. For a long time, our bus stop was at the church, so I was there every single day, morning and and night. Um, so pre pandemic, um, we would get up five a.m. maybe exercise, get Connor out to school. Yeah, really early. Connor would leave school about for the bus at 6.15, 6.20. The twins would get out the door at 7 a.m. Um, Dave and I would work like crazy, and then they'd start coming back home. And, um, you know, I, I worked, I have, I, you know, I, I worked at home a lot because I could do a lot of writing there, a lot of my research, going to campus, take the train in, which is about an hour each way, which was a lot of, and I realize now, a lot of time. Um, and, would you know, as soon as the kids got home, we'd start running and taking them to all their um, events, all their things at church, all their things for sports, um, for additional activities. It honestly, I think we would have Friday night off. That would be the only night that we weren't running around. And, um, Post, and also, I, I don't know if you guys know this, that I was in Berlin the week before everything closed down here. Um, I do remember and, that, yeah. Yeah, it was, it's very scary. I, mean, I was talking to one of my students. We were the last, you know, the last of the world travelers. I mean, I, the next week, they, the next week, everybody was called home. We got in right under, I mean, I think we got in on Sunday, and on Wednesday, they were bringing everybody back. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I haven't, I haven't been, and when we came home, we knew what was happening in Berlin. We, I, I self-quarantined. I told my students to self-quarantine. We finally got permission from the university at five o'clock on Monday to, to self-quarantine. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a while. It's been a little longer to, to be a little different. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So, so the transition now into online learning completely because right. this is your, because this is your area i'm curious about with children getting them online but also getting your students online and then sort of observing from your areas of expertise what this has been like for you and your family and then others i was really shocked at how difficult it was for me to take my graduate class online i've been teaching online lecture classes and i say that with finger quotes if you're if you're listening lecture classes because i would you know I, that's a, a bigger class even you know it's it's more performative when i go in and they do a lot of work and we we have discussions and activities but that was really easy to move online it was awful the first couple of weeks we were trying to have graduate classes as a, you know i would start with my my work parts first it was awful i couldn't get feedback from them i couldn't figure out how we could how I could see everybody. I mean, I, we've learned a lot. I mean, it was surprising to me to have been 
to how hard it was for me since I have been honestly using email since 1984, okay? Mm. I have been online before you were born, both of you, yes. <laughs> Ben's a little old. I was alive, but not that, not that long. Yeah, no, I hear you. So it was, it was shocking. It was, was shocking four. to me. Uh, and, but the and I would thought I thought I would have it a lot easier being a parent, putting my kids online. I mean, I'm a professor. How hard is it to get fourth graders to do their math? It was awful. It was really a challenge. <laughs> and you know, and I just you know talk about privilege. A lot of this has been I'm a professor doing this. I'm home all the time. Right. What is everybody else doing? How are they struggling? when I can work at home and I know how online classes work, what the heck is everybody else doing? No, it was really tough. It was really tough getting them because also, um, you know, a lot of fourth grade teachers in freshman um, high school don't have a lot of experience teaching online. They don't want to, they've been face to face forever. It was such a struggle for them. And I saw them and, and I would even sometimes go, Hey, you might want to try this. This might be a better idea. You know, just because, you know, I, I've tried it. It's, it helps me, but it was a struggle for them too. Although I have to be honest, our, um, the, the twins are at the language Academy and they're, they're, um, fourth grade teachers, a former pathologist from Egypt she was able to kind of make that transition pretty quickly. She, she was, uh, she had, she, she was really good. She was amazing. I loved her. Love her. Mm. Yeah. But it, yeah. Was, it was tough. Yeah. That's ben. a lot of gr grace that I think those of, of those our listeners who are also parents who struggled homeschooling, I hope are feeling grace knowing that someone who's been online since 84 and who studies <laughs> online learning and who's taught online and who has a doctorate degree is also struggling through that. I mean, I think that's because there's, there was a, there was a deep solidarity. I think we, we felt at that. I mean, when, it's still the same kind of thing out here in the same you know, in the same boat, but not in the same same storm, not in the same boat, whatever that analogy right. is. So a lot of people who don't have access to online technology at all, who were not doing any classes, who were falling behind and falling through the cracks. But even the parents who had the technology and even the parents with educational privilege and even the parents with experience with it, were still struggling. And now we're talking about, you know, the rumors are that we might be going back to school two days a week or three days mm -hmm. on, two days off. And what, what is that going to do to working parents? I mean, what, what, where's your anxiety at with that right now? How are you thinking about the fall? You know, I, 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 I so know my privilege with this. Um, and I, I have been um, called out by some good friends about my privilege of this, and I appreciate what they've said. Um, I am teaching one night class this fall. So I will be home as, whenever the students need me. And I've already, and our university is being incredibly um, progressive compared to all the other universities in the UNC system where faculty got to choose whether they taught online or face-to-face. -face. I'm teaching grad class at night, spread into a huge room. We, you know, we're all gonna be wearing masks. I'm, I'm not worried for, for my working, but so many other people, I don't know, how do you, how do you handle two days at school and two days um, the rest of the time off? I, I don't know how that works, especially if you don't have the capacity. I do want to say to the folks out there who are listening with younger children, it is so much easier when they're older. So much easier, so much easier. My, my colleagues who have 
infants, toddlers, not even in kindergarten, all the way up to the third grade, they are struggling. It is so much harder. It is, it is truly easier with older children. Um, even though it's not great, it is so much, the, the, young, the young parents, I don't know how they're doing it. It's gotta be awful. Especially um, if you can't, you don't have the options to work at home. I don't know. But I, I mean, the other thing too is my twins have respiratory issues. I don't know if the school opens up full time if I'd send them back. We, I mean, I don't want to homeschool, but I have the option to homeschool. Mm. I do yeah. not want to homeschool. <laughs> I really, really, really do not. It's amazing to hear you say that because I, we were at, we had one of those social gatherings at the church, 10 or less in the parking lot. We just started doing those. And the conversation moved to this very question. And two or three parents were saying that they're considering homeschooling for the first time in their life. And yeah. it's, it's amazing how many parents who were just opposed to the idea, of course, and for many reasons, right? Socialization, right. support of public school, education, all kinds of good things. Now, just because of health reasons, because of the way the learning is going to go, lots of parents are choosing private options that are not, you know, not doing things the way the public option is doing. This is really going to, this is going to impact public education in a way that we really just don't understand yet. And I want to be as supportive as possible for the public schools. I, 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 I want to make sure that I, you know, I, I, I hope we do a hybrid, a hybrid or online yeah. and, the, and the teachers get up to speed. That's what I want. I don't think we can possibly do full time. I don't know how, yeah. I don't honestly know how we're going to do hybrid. I don't see how kids are going to be safe. Or not bring Especially it if you have, if you have multiple children, I'm just, yeah thinking about those parents who are having to juggle between multiple schools, right? Um, so like if you have two children and one goes to school on Tuesday and Thursday and the other one goes on Monday, Wednesday and Friday, I mean, how is this, this is not feasible for people who don't have support or who have multiple children. Right. It's not, it's not at all. Yeah, so, so I'm curious, I'm not sure any of your research mm -hmm. with this, the pandemic has exposed this disparity in our educational system across everything, health, education, right. beyond, um, but particularly with regard to public education or learning. Does your, any of your research with the Vice Lab, if you want to tell people, the, <laughs> does any of your research look at, um, incorporate cultural studies into your psychology or into your organizational studies? Right. So um, VICE, which I love that my students came up with that idea because they're very creative, stands for Virtual Identity, Community, and Intuitivity. Intuitivity is uh, a fancy word for group um, or the feeling of being in a group. Um, we have not, it's funny, no, we, we have not incorporated um, the digital divide, although that's been on my, like, beside my research, it's always the digital divide. Um, we have not um, incorporated a lot of cultural issues, um, diversity, although I have two, ironically, white male students who are studying um, the positive effects of, of groupiness, that intuitivity, on mitigating some of the negative effects of um, biases and bigotry. I actually have three students. I have an, a, a more senior um, PhD student who's looking at that. So I have not, I do not have that... Um, I do not have that in my research repertoire. Mm -hmm. I do know that it is highlighted by the pandemic that we need we we need um, uh, internet. I know that the university has is is not we're at the UNC Charlotte. Most of our 
many of our students are first generation college students. Um, many of our students come from rural backgrounds. We are working to provide, provide, if they can't afford it, laptops for every student so that they have the access. We are also working to make sure we have hotspots. Um, mm. And I'm gonna throw out that I, I've learned about providing hotspots by the university for internet from CMS in some of the discussions I was having among those folks. So this was one thing they're like, oh, that's a great idea, we're gonna work on it. So that's, that's, my, that's kind of the melding of what I have um, on the digital divide, but it's true. It's, it's, um, I, I'm not sure, Charlotte has op options and opportunities, but some of the rural areas in North Carolina mm. simply do not. And it's a, it's, a real, yeah. it's, a real, it's a real challenge to how they're going to be safe and educated this fall. Yeah, some of these students are getting issued a Chromebook when they start, are gonna have to start taking that Chromebook home with them after school mm -hmm. and then that's going to cause all kinds of other problems so we're going to i mean it's just the training around how to use technology how to keep technology safe how to take care of it all that stuff is going to change so we so the twins brought home we didn't have computers for them because we thought that was not appropriate so the twins actually brought home their chromebooks and that became a real challenge because everybody was setting up zoom meetings but i can't email them from my unc from any account and they can't access, they can't email me. The most we can do is, oh my gosh, I say this, man, we trick the system. So we share a Google doc and put information in there. And that's how, you know, they'll share a Google doc with me. I'll edit it and then they can have the information. So we've actually gone out and bought some um, refurbished cheap Chromebooks. So I can send them an email and say, listen, church choir is this time, go to that meeting. Um, your opera is this time, go to that meeting. But that, that again is privilege that we had, you know, a few hundred dollars to do that. Um, but the, but coming back, it's, it's, it's really, I mean, it's great that CMS is giving folks the, the Chromebooks, but we can't use them like we need to at home. Ah, uh, mm. These are the kind of little logistics they're gonna have to overcome, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize yeah. that with a Chromebook. So what's, wait, what's the issue with the Chromebook? You can't send emails? The, unit, the CMS Chromebooks are, they've shut them down rightfully, so kids aren't on there like, you know, doing Facebook during school. Oh. They have their own Chromebooks yeah. at school. So absolutely, they, they don't, we don't want strangers being able to email my children. I don't want that. Got it. Um, yes. But the, yeah. I can't email my children. <laughs> and I can't send, I can't send meetings to them. So in addition to running my own, I mean, this is, this is, you know, this is crazy, but instead of and running my own calendar, I have to run their calendars and go set them up, set them up on meetings and make sure they're having this special meeting with a teacher. And it's yeah. really, um, you know, micromanaging, you know, four people's lives, mine, my three children. Mm. Yeah. Yes. So I wonder, this, this makes me feel like we're already starting to touch at this question. One of the questions we've been asking folks on this series is what have we learned about ourselves and about, Technology, we might talk about that. What have we learned about technology? What have we learned about human behavior, humanity in general? Um, and one of the ways we're kind of thinking about this, the second part of that question is, what should we keep and what should we go back mm. to doing that we were doing before? So we're calling this interruption disruption. If it's an interruption, we're going to go back to it and probably do it similar. But if it's a disruption, it was probably something we needed to do anyway, and we're going to change it. So, like, we're thinking about that strategically as a church. If there's a disruption and we were going to change it down the road anyway, we're going to just go ahead and make the change now and, and, right. and let COVID do the work that we, it would have taken us two or three years to do. 
But if it's an interruption, thinking about how we go back or meld two things into each other, technology plus in-person. So kind of two parts for this. What have we learned? And then, you know, what's the future look like? What do we keep and what do we go back to? So some of the things that are really kind of coming up to me, and these are, this is the research part. I can talk about personal if you want, but I think the research is actually more interesting, um, is I've been studying online groups. And for me, it's the world because I've been online for forever. But now the world's actually caught up. The world has, is using video conferencing. It is commonplace now to have this conversation which we would not have done before. And so two things emerged for me that are really important for you to think about for the church. One, humans have a need for belonging. There's a psychological need for belonging that as, is as important for psychological social health as eating is for biological health. Okay, we must belong. We must belong. That's why when we all got isolated, Everybody who hated technology hopped online and started talking to each other. Okay, that's why we did it. It's been there forever. We had the option. We didn't do it until we had to have that need met. So that need for belonging to a group. Okay, so the group part is the important part. And um, that's that's the intuitivity part of my my research. It's basically that um, what makes a group feel like a group. And what I have learned from this um, is not only we know what makes people feel like they're in a group. They are interactive. They um, feel similar to each other. Ironically, though, um, we're finding people usually think about similarity of values and uh, similarity of characteristics. What we we now see from the research, it's similarity of goals, that, that, that we share a goal with each other. That's really important. That actually has a stronger effect than many of the other similarity things we've, we've seen. And we're looking at perceptions of characteristics and values. And now my research wants to move over to, let's look at some demographic um, similarity and diversity and see how that affects this intuitivity feeling or if intuitivity can you know, mitigate some of these issues. Um, but the other part that my lab, I love this, we've been studying, I've been studying intuitivity for forever, okay, forever. We've been studying online intuitivity forever. We had our first lab meeting, and everybody was like, oh my god, this feels so different and similar. I mean, they don't talk like a valley girl, but um, I do. <laughs> um, they're like, this feels very similar and different to what we've been doing, and we realized that it wasn't just seeing other people, it was being seen. One of the students couldn't connect. He only could, uh, his video wouldn't work. And he's like, I feel left out of this group. And mm -hmm. one of my master's students has studied um, something called co-presence is what it is. And we realized first meeting, people, uh -oh, people need um, to be seen. It's not mm -hmm. just that I see you, but that I'm seen, that that's really important to belong in the group. So that's a really different way of thinking. That is really something powerful you brought up because I was in this, um, this conference, I'm in this cohort with Duke Leadership, and um, we had this conference in April that was supposed to be in person, but ended up being all online. There was one person in Texas who could never get her video to work because she had terrible internet. 
So she couldn't mm-hmm. get the video and the audio to work. So she, we only really saw her picture, like, you know, at the beginning of this, you saw my picture. And there is a, I mean, there is a sense of like, we missed her. Like we, we just, and she missed, she saw us. Mm-hmm. But there was also this sense of like, she was there, but not there. And I, I mean, I had never really taken the time to sit with that and process that. And we've been doing this Zoom thing now for, for three months or whatever the platform is. We've been doing it for three months now. And I'm now realizing the importance of actually seeing people's faces as opposed to the phone. Mm. Yeah, it's, um, I've got some research I've submitted where we're going to test um, the three parts of this, the me seeing other people, other people seeing me, and me seeing other people see each other, which is kind of crazy. Mm. But um, yeah, it's, it's a, especially in large crowds, crowds like a church that perhaps I don't want to be seen, I want to be in the back, but seeing other people see each other and interact with each other, can actually be um, positive for me too. It can have my, it can increase my feelings of connection. But in small groups, small groups like this, I think people need to be seen as well as see other people. Wow. Yeah. So, so what about physical presence? You know, um, and and you know, obviously, a couple things on that. Like, I think first of all, seeing ourselves, we've learned, is also exhausting. So, seeing ourselves. <laughs> Seeing ourselves, see, seeing other people see ourselves <laughs> and seeing what we look like when we're in a meeting, exhausting right. emotional experience, right? So there's that. And, and, then, and then also, like, as an extrovert, I always say, like, you know, Zoom meetings don't do for me what a regular meeting does. And, um, you know, meetings, I, I had this joke about meetings that when I gave my life to Jesus, I didn't know he was going to take it one meeting at a time. <laughs> but actually, I get a lot of energy from meetings. I get a lot of energy from people. And so I can leave like a big group gathering or a meeting and be like on an emotional high uh, where other people are like needing to curl up in the fetal position and hide in the closet. And even if the meeting was like intense and angry and people yelled at me, I'm still like, yes, where's the party? You know, um, so I don't get any of that from Zoom. Like I almost get almost none of that from Zoom. I get a sense of connection and belonging and productivity and we're making progress and we're doing stuff and I see you and there's a little like, oh, there they are. Mm -hmm. But I don't get any of the physical emotion juice that being in physical presence with other people comes from. So I know that that helps the introvert folks, right? Like they love that, Um, but it doesn't help me. So I wonder like, what is it doing to us physically Um, and do we need, and and how will we now curate and decide what are the times we have to be together and what are the times we don't have to be together? All right. So I have a lot of thoughts based on research and what you said. First of all, I think that online meetings are so difficult because we have to focus so hard on this. Uh, I think that that is actually um, in a larger, I mean, we're focusing, I look around my room, which I'm just looking around here. I could sit here and you could be there and I won't have to focus so much. I can see you. It's all part of that. But this, I'm really putting myself to believing you're right there. I mean, it's funny because I always point to my screen and I, I still don't understand my students can't see it. I'm like, look, it's right there. So um, part of it is, yeah, part of it is the focus that it requires to be here. Second, we don't know why video isn't the same as face-to-face. Theoretically, it should be based on what we know from communication um, mm. theory. Okay, I think my future research is going to start comparing cognitively that there is a, we're, we're smelling more when we're around people. We are mm. exchanging 
energies more. I mean, we are, it's, there's something else three dimension. And I'm like, what could, uh, one thing I, I hate to say smell, but what is the difference besides the depth of perception and smell that we're, or, you know, that we're getting face to face. I think that must be part of it too. Okay. That we get is so much better um, face to face than online. Third, I have real concerns about people's ability currently to stay six feet apart. And it comes back to my research on intuitivity and groupiness, that feeling of group. The original researcher in 1958, he didn't, they didn't have online communications. He just looked at people and he could say, he would, he argued that physical proximity made us think that people were groups. Okay. Mm. Six feet is too far apart. Six feet is too far apart. I, I, knowing what I know, trying to be a good social distancer, I'm around somebody, I want to touch them. I want to touch them and be closer. And it is really, I, I don't think it's going to be natural for us to be close, to be to stay six feet apart. I don't think our brains are wired to see that as a group. And it goes back to that need for belonging and to belong wow. to a group. Mm. So those things. So basically, you're telling us that our hangouts are not uh, <laughs> outside. Outside is fine. I believe. Yeah. I believe the dispersion is fine. I, I and it's the inside that makes me anxious. <laughs> well, the inside is fine. super anxious. Yes, even even inside with a mask, I think people are not going to be able to social distance totally. No. So no, the mask can't. is critical. That's why the mask is so critical, right? Is because that's the one. That's the one factor that we can control. Even if somebody else doesn't control themselves, we can control it, right? And so there's, you might not be able to control six feet in a grocery store. Somebody could just walk up to you and grab you. You know, you can't do it. You know, it's just, even if you're outside, but you can control if you're, if you have a mask on, this is why I, you know, that's why we're all posting articles about masks constantly because it's the one factor that makes the biggest difference that we can all actually control. Um, But uh, to your reason, to your point, like, I could tell you now, having been through this COVID, of all the times that I've kind of put myself out there a little, hoping that people would social distance because of some event in my life or something as my role as a pastor that I thought we needed to do, and been immediately compromised by someone's inability to stay six feet away from either me or somebody I'm with. And I, it, I mean, just even l- less than a few days ago, you know, and I think, so it's just human, right? Like I'm not mad at them, yeah. you know, like when somebody kind of slowly came toward me and hugged me in the middle of a time of pandemic, I'm not going to like, I'm not mad at them. I get where they came from. I wish they maybe had a little bit more restraint, but this happens. I think what you're saying is that we're, we're trying to overcome deep biological need for touch in a yeah. way that we, and, and it's like a lot of things, yeah. it's like a lot of human things where we think we're stronger than we are, right? It's like mm. with marketing. We think we can resist marketing, that nobody's teaching us anything or changing our habits. You know, they don't pay marketers millions and millions of dollars because they don't know how to change your habits. That's what they learn how to do. They know how to change you. They know how to get you to shop. They know how to make you feel bad about yourself so you'll buy something. This is why right. psychologists sometimes go into marketing and philosophers go into marketing it's because it's profitable and they know how to manipulate your behavior. And we just think, no, 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 nobody can control me. Nobody can, nobody can mess with me, you know? And it's the same with this. Like we think we could actually stay six feet apart. Like we're somehow so in charge of ourselves. 
that we can keep ourselves from doing it, but we can't. Most of us no. just can't do it. We, we, we honestly can't. It's not, it's not natural. It's, it would take, it would take probably two years of, you know, years of us being unable to touch other people before we would be able to go out and do this. Mm. So, so when, so thinking about when this is over, so your advice on what, what people, um, all right. So I, sh I need to preface this. Like I'm horrible at predicting the future. Okay. So, um, like what people are going to do, but I mean, you know, as I said, I've already gotten my, you know, geek credentials uh, done, but here's where I made the mistake. When the, when the web started, the internet started, people started being able to have website, web pages. I'm like, who will ever use that? We've already got email. We've already got file transfer protocol and gopher, neither of which you've ever heard of, okay? I'm like, why, I mean, those just died, like within months. They were like the ways we, we shared information. In so, yeah, I'm not gonna say what we know. I, I, I think, I think for, for me, I would like to be able to, I think we're going to make calculations. I was thinking about this earlier. We're going to make calculations on what am I willing to travel for and mm -hmm. so I can get the needs I have met. I mean, that need for belonging is, is just going to be there, right? So we're going to need to be around people. We're going to, we want to be around people. So when this is all over, Honestly, I, I'm going to go back. I really don't know. It, you're, it, it depends on if it's over in 20 by December of 2020 or if it's over in 2022, right? I just mm. don't. We're going to, the good news is we will make technology do what we need it to do. Yes. Okay? Yeah. Uh, the, the morning panel I was on, um, um, a man from the head of Google in the Middle East was saying, we are innovating like crazy. The difference, and we never that pace has not stopped. The difference is we are adopting like crazy, and we know from the theories of technology and humans that we make the technology do what we want it to do. They may have ideas, they may say, Oh, this is great, but we make it do what we want to do. So we're going to make it as much as possible. You know, uh, you know uh, let us belong, let us be in groups, let us function and be psychologically and physically healthy. I think that's my, mm. that's my, that's my prediction. That's it. That's all I got for that. What we're going to keep doing. That's great. That's great to hear. I mean, not that I didn't know that people were out there working really hard, but I've been thinking a lot about, I mean, you were just talking about uh, you know, email, you've been emailing since 84, and it probably was a piece of garbage back then. I mean, when I started emailing back in 90-something, right, it was like AOL messaging <laughs> forever to get to the person to get it to, and like things have definitely improved over the past, I guess, 25 years since I've been emailing or whatever. So I'm, think, I'm thinking deeply about like this platform and these video conferencing platforms and the glitches that we're experiencing and how they're probably innovating for us to be able to do some of the things we need to do that we haven't been able to do well on like a Zoom. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like one of the things right. we haven't done well in Zoom is like, um, like the sound is not great. Um, and, you, and, and one of the things about like the digital space is that we're, we can't really read body language. So like, mm -hmm. like you'll cut somebody off and you don't really mean to. Um, different like group dynamic things we can't do via Zoom, <laughs> which gives me anxiety sometimes, which is why I prefer small groups on Zoom. Um, but I'm, I'm mm -hmm. hoping that the technology will get to a place where we can 
manage our group dynamics better on Zoom. We can manage sound better, um, manage live conversations better. So it's hopeful to hear that people are really innovating for what we need in this moment. So two things. I know that Zoom is changing. I, we were doing something in my lab. I needed it to, I'm like, oh, I need them to do this. The next week it did it. I'm like, well, all right then. That's good. Ooh. Yeah. I also think, yo, we've only been, I mean, I've been online. I mean, we've only been doing this for a few months. Okay. And look how much better we've gotten at it. I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't want us to be experts, but if we have to be, We'll figure, the technology will make sure we stop interrupting each other. Our human no, rules of behavior will help us so that we can like read and not interrupt each other. I think, I think it's, you know, we make it. The research always shows we make the technology do what we want it to do within the constraints that are, it gives us. And they're trying to change those constraints to take us to our needs. So yeah. That's, I mean, that, that's really helpful. So one of the things I've noticed about church meetings by, mm. by Zoom, and we've done a different variety. We have lots of staff meetings every week. We have lots of meetings with lay groups is debate seems to be less intense. Uh, and you know, our church, we love controversy mm. and debate. And, and it's without the body language for some reason where you can kind of see someone get agitated and get a little red in the face and you know you can you can almost feel their you don't really feel that over zoom so it's I, i've noticed that i don't i don't see people getting as irritated either with what i say or i find myself getting as irritated with them <laughs> i gotta pop in um yeah so it's the i think there's the this this for whatever reason again the physical thing makes debate different our, I think our debates as staff me meetings, which tend to be filled with lots of debate too, senior staff, those are less mm -hmm. intense for whatever reason. Um, and deacons meetings are like totally different. They are not even close to the same, although we were already changing and evolving as a church, but like yeah. we, we went from like the old model to the new model to the COVID model in less than six months. And <laughs> now it's like, it, it doesn't even feel like the same organization. Right. It, it feels like we're in another totally different organization because the debates and the conversations are so different. I think some of that has been good, though. Like it's made things seem that little it used to be like little things could seem really big. But now it just doesn't seem like we, people have patience for letting little things get big anymore. On the other hand, I wonder down the road if there's something really important that we yeah. do need to get into it with yeah. and really lay it on the line. Are we going to be able to do that by Zoom? Will we really be able to debate and argue? The way we need to over something deeply controversial, um, like you know, secure certain kinds of security on campus. One of the early decisions we made this year. Mm. How will we do that? You know, if we we can't be present. So that's one. That's one thing I'm a little. I, I just wondering about. Are we going to get better at that? So, do you allow uh, chats during your meetings, where people can yeah, we, respond? Yeah. Okay, because that. Yeah, they, um, I'll be honest with you, in the um, faculty meetings I'm on, the chat is where the, some of the uh, dissension tends to bubble up. <laughs> People will say all sorts of things on their chat <laughs> to the whole group but, and to each other. <laughs> that uh, oh, yeah. seems to be right for debate and dissension. I mean, the faculty don't really like hold back either if they have an opinion on something. So, uh, yeah. so that's one interesting. The other thing that makes me uh, so. I would, if you really are concerned about it, make sure people 
have the ability to chat or even if, I mean, I don't think our church has to worry about anonymous dissension, right? I don't think that's a problem. Um, but that may be a place where um, developing norms, you know, you know, I guess faculty and meetings are also always texting each other behind the scenes. So maybe that just is easier for us to take that to a Zoom meeting and start chatting negative yeah. things. But there's also two things you say, um, lots of research, and you would, this goes against the theory we would expect that um, online we, I know it's true through email, but apparently it's true through um, a video too, that we have a little social distance between us, and that makes it less stressful to see all that, all the reactions, yeah. um, all the nonverbals of people um, like getting anxious and stuff. I think it's, I think you're right. I think it's a nonverbal. You can't see everybody going at one time or whatever it is. Um, also, yeah. here's something that even if you could, here could be the problem. Um, there's some emerging research showing that we change how we react based on the physical, the physical location of somebody. So if you were all in my house and we were still doing this online, I would be, I could react differently than knowing that you're on your own houses. That even mm. in our brains, we store your location different and it takes it a little less, it makes it a little less uh, emotional and responsive from that. Mm. Wow. That's some, that's some research I reviewed for a journal called Organization Science, which blew my mind. Clearly, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. The idea that we we have a sense of, because that would also, like your sense of safety or fight or flight would right. be being all of that, triggered all of that. based on? Wow, man. That is, that, okay, so this is interesting. This may lead us into, I mean, we're, we're getting towards the end here, but I'm curious about spirituality in this thing, in conversation. Mm -hmm. So if we're storing different spaces differently or our perception of those spaces, yeah. what is it, what has it been like for you personally, but what is it like for the human mind to be going to church in their living room or in wherever they are, right? Like, what is happening in our minds right now? Because right now, I it, of course it feels different. We can, we I think we can most of us agree it feels different. Um, I, I'm I'm personally feeling less anxious because there isn't that fight or flight thing that Ben is talking about. Because church space has become very dangerous space over the past mm -hmm. years. So there, oh, yeah. like a sniper in the balcony anymore because I'm in my living room. <laughs> but like, what is happening to us now that we are attending these things in, in our homes, in our sitting in the kitchen, uh, psychologically having meetings in our bedrooms? What's going on with us right now? And with That's, you personally? Oh yeah, with me, with me. Um, so I, um, a couple of uh, things. I love, I love uh, having a cup of coffee in my pajamas and watching church or being part of church. I absolutely love that. Um, it is uh, part of what I look forward to on Sunday mornings. I do. I just, I just love it. Um, I get the spiritual. I miss the community, but I get the spiritual food I need, and um, I do share with my. You know, I love the moving around to different people participating because it it's part of the community being shown to me that uh, mm -hmm. that I do love um so I, I I guess one question would be is um disentangling which we I don't think I'm not I'm not a theologian but disentangling community from the theology and the spirituality right that's mm -hmm. the that's the part um we don't want to do that I think part of a church is that it's a, a spiritual community um, 
So I don't know. I haven't thought about that. This would be interesting to look at. I do know that certain cues, because I'm always meta-analyzing everything, I like to see how many people are watching with me. I like to see how many people saw the last one. And it's only in the one, um, the one uh, uh, platform I'm watching it on. But it, it does make it just, oh, I'm with, I'm with like, you know, 150 other people, and we're all sitting here in our pajamas, having coffee. <laughs> I mean, I like, I like that part. I think that is part of the community parts. And um, I, you know, for, for me, the spirituality parts I've been working on are meditation, um, doing some meditation um, from Dana, um, Dana's book. Dana Trent, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I've been using her book and doing my meditations. I love that. So that's very, um, that's very, for me, that's God and God and me in that situation, I feel like. Mm. Um, also, um, I've been doing, I make masks and I've had, me, I forgot to make your mask. Oh my okay. gosh. I have enough now. I have six. So. Okay. I was like, wait a minute. It was right at the end. I just come to a new thing. And then I know that it started getting hot. So I started gardening. That's part of my thing. But making masks has helped. Um, but I don't know how it's going to affect the church. Um, gardening is a spiritual people. activity. Oh, so that you're doing it. Yeah, I it's love totally it. spiritual. Yeah. It's, I, love, I, love, I love those. Those things are not chores to me. Making mask, doing um, gardening are not chores. They're um, they're blessings. I, it's, mm. They're things I really, really treasure. So I Those don't know. Research. We've got to do research on this. Right. Yeah, I think that's the thing. One of the things I think we're learning on this is that our sense of community and our sense of theology or spirituality mm. were not as intrinsic as we imagined they were. I think mm. so for some people they were, but I think for others, they weren't as intrinsic or I guess maybe another, another way I'd put that is, and I think Mia would experience, has experienced this and shown this to us in a couple of ways is that our sense of what is sacred versus what is not sacred is changing. Mm. Uh, we sort of all, we all kind of knew everything could be sacred, you know, doing the laundry cooking. We, we were told it could all be sacred. But then we were shut inside with our families for a while. We had to figure out how to make it sacred or we were going to die, you know, emotionally. And so I think, I think now in, while, while there's what we're holding, I think is the both and both like the sacred space of church that is like a, you know, an indigenous burial site for us that cannot be disturbed and is so sacred that it has to be preserved in its perfect original form. And the, and the creation of new sacred spaces like our living room couch with that cup of coffee that you're talking about are happening at the same time. And so I think it's like our, our, our vision of what's holy is expanding. And sometimes that will mean that it'll migrate. Eventually that means it may migrate away from buildings and into a, a more expansive view of spirituality that buildings are not as important uh, to that. Um, other, but it also could just be a kind of combination as we go forward where there's, there's times when we need the, the building and all that. And then there's t most other times where we don't. And I think we're in an evolutionary period related to that. Um, I, I hear people say the same thing you say, and they don't know how to describe it as sacred like you sort of did, but just like, I just want to be home on my couch. I'm, I'm loving this. I love this. How did I know that I didn't, I didn't even know that I would love this so much more than going to the building. I'm not sure I ever want to go back again. And I'm not hearing like, that from like just young people, but old people. Yeah. I, I think there's, 
I think it gives me options, right? I still think the, the being with a crowd in a group listening and singing and, and performing rituals are, it's really important psychologically too. I'm, and, and sociologically, I think that is very important. And that gives me deep, deep spiritual food. On the other hand, sometimes when that's hard to do, I can grab my coffee, participate online, and still get some um, the spiritual needs met for that way too. I don't think we'll ever go to just completely online. That would make me very sad. No. Yeah, yeah. It's not enough, as you as you mentioned yeah. before. There there are things missing, and there's a human need to belong even in the same space. Oh yes, very important. You know, like like there's a there's a way that we're having this conversation then. Part of me is like, what's going on in the background with Dan? Or like, what's going on in the background with Anita? And like, if we were all yeah. around the table. Christopher was mind, trying to poke his head over. <laughs> right. <laughs> my mind wouldn't be doing that that wondering, right? Wondering and wandering that's happening via via this platform. Yeah. So I think we, we do need to be back together again. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I'm wondering what I think is, uh, you mentioned the hybrid school option, but I'm wondering if what we're, the future is going to be some kind of hybrid where we, like I, I've been trying to challenge the deacons to think, what if we did every other month in person and the other month we did totally by Zoom, you know, and we're always going to have to have an online call-in option for meetings from now on. I mean, I think that's critical. Oh. But like we have people who live in Indian land and who live in university area and Concord, Fort Mill, and there's some of them are deacons. How are they going to possibly be at a 6.30 p.m. meeting at the church every month? That is just completely crazy in the new world that we live in. Um, and so it's an accessibility mm -hmm. and power conversation. Who's got, who's got the power and how do we how do we not give more power to those who are more proximate, which of course in our setting privileges those in Myers Park, right? You know, so we have to be careful about that or we'll never really be able to be the kind of more, uh, you know, um, egalitarian community that we want to try to become where somebody who lives in Indian land and commutes in for work doesn't have to worry about staying in the city for another two hours instead of going home to be with their family just to come to a deacon meeting. Yeah. You know, that's not going to work. Um, and so I'm just wondering if there's like this hybrid where we'll come back and then we'll start doing things different, like maybe one month in, one month out, one congregational meeting together in, one meeting out, uh, whether we'll be doing worship online and in person a on a regular basis, a combination of the two, um, and giving people more options of access. Um, it's really an accessibility question mm -hmm. to me mm -hmm. at this point now. Um, so we, that's, I don't know, I don't know what your thoughts are about accessibility related to technology, but I'm sure you've studied some of that. Oh yeah. I, um, as far as the meetings go, I've been participating. There's no way I'm going back to certain meetings ever face to face again. They were going to have to figure out there needs to be a little like Anita head in the meeting so I can participate with the people who are there right on a screen. Um, yeah, that's, that's. <laughs> We don't, I don't think we have the technology yet, but I think maybe that will be what it is so that people who are, um, are physical can, can easily see the people who are participating virtually some way that I'm hoping yeah. that's a new technology that comes up. That would be fantastic. Um, but no, it, it shouldn't. I, I think all of us are sitting around going, I want to participate. I don't want to drive one hour. I don't have to drive one hour, figure this out. 
I still want to yes. be part of this group. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, we have to demand that change. Yeah. yeah. That's the future of church. That's the future of school. Hi, Lucy. <laughs> that's the future of all of us who are working in group settings. Um, so I think we need to lean into that in our upcoming seasons. Yeah, that sounds good. I agree. Yes. Anita, thanks so much for being on. It has been great to talk with you. It's also, it's been good to talk with you in your professional side, which I, I feel like we don't get to talk to you about that very often. No, I, I you know, I, I do. I, I, it's funny. I think I let my home life into my work all the time. I'm really open about, you know, modeling to my students that you can be a parent and or mother actually and have uh children but i don't really go in and talk about all my you know research stuff at church and stuff it's kind of boring it'd be odd at a dinner party well actually <laughs> yeah. well it's what actually experiencing right now is intimacy <laughs> <laughs> we could have a whole podcast on intimacy and just, oh, that would be a great word i have actually in my meeting this morning, I made this for them. So they would know how to spell it. Good. I need I to practice. That. It's a definitely a little, it chips me up a little bit. So yes. <laughs> it's a hard word. Everybody does. That's why I held it up. I gave it a little. It's almost, as, it's almost as hard as Upamane. Yeah, I had to look. All right, so wait a minute. Do you see that one I looked up to? The meaning of that? What the heck is that? Why do they want me to talk about patients? Are they insane? I am not patient. <laughs> you seem to have patients like when? Who? Why? <laughs> all of our patience is being stretched right now. Yes, like it is. <laughs> it is, it is. Thank you for joining us. We are so happy about this episode. I'm sure that it's gonna be something that really can reach people and um I hope, I hope. work is not boring. Yeah. It's quite fascinating. So thank you, thank fascinating. you. Fascinating. Thanks, Anita. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. Thank you guys for asking me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye. Bye.